But like um, before the service that God wanted to remind us this morning that he's better, better than we could imagine. And let's just, let's rest on that. Let's stay on that. He's better than we could imagine. Um, I'm going to be speaking this morning about giving, but not money, time, effort, energy, and love. Because as, as Christians, we're supposed to give, right? It's sort of, that's, that's part of it. We're supposed to love others, but we're also busy. Jesus said to love our neighbor. And I don't know about you, but I don't even know the names of all of my neighbors, but it's a commandment. So how do I deal with this commandment? And then, you know, there's things to do. And if I don't love my neighbors and if I don't love others, am I letting people down? Am I letting God down? Is this the thing that I'm supposed to do? And Jesus also said, when I'm visiting people in prison, I'm visiting him, but I don't even know where the nearest prison is. Is it Tawa? I'm not sure. And if I don't go and visit someone in prison, do I then become a goat? And I'm not talking about the greatest of all time. I'm talking about like the sheep and the goats. Like you don't want to be the goat. You want to be the sheep in this scenario. So as Christians, it's actually complicated sometimes how we give and how we invest our time. So I want to talk, to, talk about that a little bit this morning because I think sometimes when we scratch under the surface, there's some funny things we think and the truth can set us free. So let's talk about that. But before I do, a little story. The year was 1993. It was a good year. That's right, 1993. A young me with awesome frosted tips on the ends of my hair with a Bachelor of Commerce and Administration in hand, with a solid B average, I might say, was ready to hit the workforce. Times were exciting. But I wasn't interested in using my business degree to kind of go and get an office job. So, so I worked part-time, and I worked part-time for my church and doing youth ministry. I worked hard. I worked long hours. But things were going good. The youth ministry was growing. Our quirky little band that I was involved in kept getting strangely large opportunities to perform. I was working hard and there was so much happening. After doing that for like my first year, then my second year, I remember being away on a beach mission trip. We're in the Hawke's Bay and those long hours working finally caught up in me and I hit a wall. That was awesome. Just GJ Robert. That was like, like you got it. Like, yeah, I hit a wall. I felt tired, but not just tired, exhausted. I was drained. I was spent. And looking back, I think I'd say I was even burned out. It only took me two years to get there. And I know some people are like, oh, I did this for 27 years and then I burned out. I only took two. So there we go. Maybe that says something about me. But something wasn't right about what or how or why I was doing what I was doing. I stretched and broke. And this morning I want to talk about that because... How we expend our energy and how we give is something we sometimes get wrong. And we all know too many people who've been burned out on religion and used to go to church or used to be in ministry and don't anymore. So I've got three points to share today. But before I do, proviso number one. If I say anything that you're like, oh, I don't know about that, check it in scripture. Because that's something we've got that's incredible, right? Check it in scripture. Thank you, Martin Luther, for that. Number two, if anything said this morning that goes real deep, 
and you're like, I feel like God's revealing truth to my heart, then land on it and stay with it. Allow the truth to go into your heart and allow God to move it there. Because some of these things are things that we may have been stuck on for a while and God's going to set us free. So let's go. Three points, not holding back. Point number one, to do with giving. God can do anything. This is actually really important. God's so powerful, he spoke the universe into place. Within the Milky Way, there are 100 billion stars approximately. The Milky Way is one galaxy. In 2021, thanks to Hubble, NASA estimated there are over 200 billion galaxies. Since that time, some physicists and astronomers suggest there could in fact be trillions. God is powerful. He can do everything. He literally knows all and can do all. So now follow the logic here because this might press some buttons on the inside. If God knows all and can do all, he doesn't need me to do anything. Now, I know that might cause a little bit of a reaction to some of us because you might be thinking, wait, what did he say? God needs me to bake a pie for Mrs. Taylor next Sunday because if, if I don't bake the pie, no one's going to bake the pie. And remember the sheep and the goats. You don't want Jesus to cast you into the lake of eternal fire. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Now, we're going to get to all of that. But for now, before we kind of go there, if your theology about God For example, God needs me to do something, and if I don't do it, it can't happen. If your theology about God causes you to make God smaller, your theology needs to change. God can do everything. Therefore, he doesn't need you to do anything. God can do anything. God can do everything. Therefore, he doesn't need you to do anything. Just just let that sink in, and I'm going to push a little harder. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. God can do everything. He doesn't need you to do anything. And you are loved just as you are. He doesn't come to us with a list of requirements, boxes to check before we're loved. We're loved. God can do everything. He doesn't need us to do anything. And if you sit on your couch and watch Shortland Street reruns for the rest of your life, you will still be loved by God. Your family will get very annoyed, but you will still be loved by God. You will be surrounded and filled by the love of God. Now, that's actually a key. This is like a foundational theology here. And if you don't remember anything, remember, even if I watch Shortland Street reruns all day, I'm still loved by God. But I got one more thing, one more, <laughs> one more cow to kick. Speaking of cows, young people, youth group, didn't we have fun on Friday night? Anyway, I've got one more sacred cow to kick. And for some, this might be offensive. So let's go. Looking forward to it. And this is really important because this is a thing that sucks the life out of a lot of Christians. Okay, now follow the logic. Because God can do everything. Therefore, he doesn't need me to do anything. And he doesn't need me. On the rededication hamster wheel, what am I saying? Here's what this looks like. We might feel dry. We might feel out of sync with God spiritually. So we make a promise like this. I'm going to try harder, God. I'm going to try harder to live for you, Lord. And we do. And for a few weeks, we might pray more. Maybe we'll throw in the odd fast. We'll go to church more regularly. But then life happens and we somehow lose motivation. 
and we feel in the same place again. Maybe it's three months later, maybe it's six months later. So we end up going to a conference and we hear an inspiring speaker. So we make that same prayer. We say, God, I'm gonna, I'm there. I'm a hundred percent. It's you and me, God, all the way. And then we go around this cycle again. We're trying harder. We're trying harder. We're trying harder, but it's a cycle and we're not getting anywhere. It doesn't work, and it's a powerless, godless cycle when we continually try to rededicate ourselves to try harder for God. Why? Because the essence of dead religion is when we try as hard as we can in our own strength to work for God, to please God, to be acceptable to God, or pay back, to, or pay back God. When victory in the Christian life comes not by trying, but by trusting. And that's really big. Victory in the Christian life comes not by trying, but by trusting. Not by working harder or putting in more effort, but by letting go and surrendering to him. Let's go to the word. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul is saying when I'm talking about my weaknesses, I'm seeing the power of Christ dwell in me. But more than that, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. When you see the word grace in Scripture, we can replace it with Jesus because grace is not a doctrine. Grace, according to Titus, is Jesus himself. Jesus is sufficient for you. His power is perfected in your weakness. So when we have something that we struggle with, God's not saying, hey, you struggle, I'll walk alongside you. He's actually saying, my power, the power of God will be perfected when you give that to me. When you recognize that that's what I'm doing, the power of God himself, when we give up trying harder ourselves, surrender to him. When we say, God, I can't do this. God, I I don't know how to parent in this situation. God, I don't know how to love my wife or my husband at the moment, but I surrender to you. That's not giving up. That's putting us in the place where we need to be. That's when the power of God comes into our situations and our scenarios. See the difference? And this is massive. It's not about us saying, God, I'm going to try harder too. It's about us saying, God, I surrender. I can't. This is bigger than me, but that's okay because you're alive in me. I need you to work through me. This is where the life is in being a Christian, not us trying harder. That hamster wheel thing is dead religion. It's about him. So number one, God can do anything. Number two, and this is massive, we are sons and not servants. And actually, Malcolm, you said something in prayer a few weeks ago that I thought was fantastic before the service. By sons in scripture, that means the position of a son in an ancient biblical times family. It means the authority, the inheritance, the access to privilege, not a male offspring. It's for all of us. So John 1.12, all who have received him, Jesus, and believed in his name, he gave us the right to become children of God. Galatians 4.7, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So what does it mean that we're sons? Because this affects how we give. We don't have to work our way into God's good books. 
Because of Jesus, we're already there. We don't have to work to please God. Because of Jesus, we're already there. I heard this a few weeks ago. The Father God has a permanent smile, a perma-smile when he looks at you. Now, that, that challenges us. I don't know about you, but that challenges me sometimes because I think, yes, but, yes, but I haven't done this. Or, or yes, but, but, but what about this? And, and yes, but I... Uh... God doesn't look at you like that. You're a son, not a servant. Check this out. This is uh, on the day of Jesus' baptism, Matthew 3, 7. The father said to the son before he went into ministry, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. The Amplified Version says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and delighted. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. But the father said to him, this is my beloved son who I love and I'm well pleased. Somehow we get the sense that we have to earn God's love. You don't have to earn God's love. You are loved. You are loved. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. And God said it to Jesus and the same about us. Delighted even. I love that word, delighted. He delights in us. And see, this is why I think so many of us burn out for me when I was 21 and I had so much enthusiasm, but I felt like I had to prove to God that I was worth it, that I could be a success, that I could work hard. I didn't know that the father just loved me. This is our position, sons and daughters, and we are loved by God. He is well pleased and delighted. In the story of the prodigal son, I think it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. There are two sons who didn't know significant things about their father. So the second son, the brother who wouldn't go into the party, he said this. He said, but for so many years, father, I've been serving you. I've done everything you commanded, and you you never even gave me a goat. (laughs) Is that goat again? You never even gave me a goat. The father replied, son, you've always been with me and all that I have is yours. The tragedy of the story is that that son was with the father, but he considered himself a slave or a servant and not a son. He said, I've obeyed everything you commanded. And the father said, but everything I have is yours. And he says the same to us as sons. Everything he has is ours. The peace of God, ours. The provision of God, ours. The patience, ours. Everything he has. Now, we instantly go, yeah, 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 but I kicked the cat. Doesn't that disqualify me from this family? Everything he has is ours. Stop kicking the cat. But even if you keep kicking the cat, still ours. The things you do don't qualify you. Neither will they disqualify you? Because that's not how family works. See, our kids get it. Our kids get it that when they've done things that are way not the things they're supposed to be doing, they know they're still loved. They know they're still family. But we find that hard with God sometimes, right? 
The things you do don't qualify you, but faith in Jesus does. And neither will the things you do disqualify you. We are no longer slaves, but sons. In your workplace, when you play sports, when you hang out with friends, the favor of God's on you, the presence of God is with you, the love of God's around you. You made it. You're already there. So number one, and we haven't even got to the giving part yet. We're getting to the, the wherefore, out why. Number one, God is powerful. He doesn't need you. Number two, we're sons and daughters. We're children of God, not slaves. So let's look at number three, because this is where the fun begins. Partnership opportunities. This is where and how it happens. When we open our hearts to the love of God, the never-ending, never-changing, never-ceasing, unconditional love of God, it changes us on the inside. 1 John 4.19 says very simply, we love because he first loved us. The natural response of being loved by God is to begin to love others. Not because we have to, not because it's a commandment. Jesus fulfilled every requirement of the law for us. We love because we overflow with the love of God. And that's why it says in James that faith without works is dead. It's not an order. It's not a commandment. It's an if A then B logic statement that the natural response to faith and love of Jesus is that we would express that. Or as Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ compels us. So the giving doesn't come when we act. It doesn't come from a sense of, if I don't do this, no one will do it. It doesn't come a sense of, I'm God's slave and I'm paying him back. But it does come from a sense of, my God loves me. And I want to share that and let that overflow. The motivation is love. So I may watch Shortland Street reruns for the, best, for the rest of my life, but because I've tasted love and because I have good taste, I won't. <laughs> I actually haven't watched Shortland Street for about 20 years. <laughs> anyway, but it's, a, it's an important thing to remember. No, I don't think it is at all. <laughs> we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. One of the translations says, we are his masterpiece. And I love that. I love that. We are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we could walk in them. We were made to partner with God himself to change the world. In the beginning, God created the earth. He created the world and he created a garden. Why is a garden different to the world? Well, if you've gardened or looked at a garden, you know it's different to just the regular bush out there in New Zealand because there's order to it. God created a garden. God's plans was that mankind would adventure with him and subdue the earth, bring it into order, make it look nice. Remember, God, God can do anything, but he loves to partner with us in and where we're at. God loves to do stuff with us. And this is where the fun begins. That's how he rolls. He wants to partner with us in our lives where we're at to make the world a better place. So Jesus, he said the fields are right for harvest. Yes, he did. There's plenty to do, but not on your own with him. But also not everything. And this is another key thing. Remember, God can do anything 
And Jesus, as our model, said, I only did the things, Father, that you showed me to do. Because it's another way. We just burn out when we just take the burden of everything. When Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda and healed one man, when he would have been surrounded by many sick people. Jesus did the things the Father showed him to do. Now, some people hear that Bible verse on workmanship, and they go, right, this is good. This part I get. Jesus saved us, and now we pull up our sleeves, and we get to work. So let's get working. And I would say to that, no, 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 no. Check out this quote. I've been reading a book by author Steve McVeigh the last few weeks. He says this, our behavior might be good, right, noble, and even spiritual, but if we're trying to meet our needs in our own resources instead of looking to God, we're operating in the flesh. Our behavior might be good, right, noble, even spiritual, but if we're trying to meet our needs or do our thing in our own resources instead of looking to God, we're operating in the flesh. Remember earlier the try harder hamster wheel? Not only does it suck the life out of us, but you'll only ever get karma instead of favor. And by karma, I mean you get out what you put in. It all comes back to you, which is the opposite of favor, which is God doing awesome things on our lives. Does that make sense? Simply put, try and do it all yourself, or as the Bible puts it, in the flesh, and you'll see self or flesh kind of results. But do it with God, using his resources, trusting him with him, everything changes. Because when we partner with God, we're not alone. God's with us. And God plus you is a majority. And this kingdom is about multiplication. You sow one seed and you can see a hundred seeds in return. In this kingdom, everything you put your hand to is blessed. In this kingdom, the one who knows everything is guiding, advising, leading, helping. Is that cheating? Yes. But did you not think that God inside of us would make a difference? He does. And he's supposed to. He goes before us. He watches us. He's with us in this kingdom. He takes the burdens. God wants to partner with us to change the world around us. And it doesn't begin by us getting stuck in, but by inviting God, trusting him with whatever circumstances, work, study, relationships we're in. We've been created in Christ Jesus to do good work, but not alone, in partnership with himself. Number one, God can do anything. He doesn't need us to do anything. Number two, we're sons, not servants. There's an incredible privilege that comes from that. There's an incredible access to God that comes from that. And number three, God loves to partner with us in life. Whatever is your thing. And I feel like today God wants to say, what is that thing for you? Can we do it together? For some of us, it might be a new thing. For some of us, it's something we've been having a go at all along. And God might be challenging us to go, can we do it together? Have you finished trying to handle this by yourself? Because together, something extraordinary is going to happen. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you that you are so good. 
Thank you, God, that you're with us. Thank you, God, that we have the privilege of being loved by you, known by you. Thank you, God, that with you, there's no burden. Only life. And I pray, I pray that you would show us what it means to walk in the love of Christ. To be compelled by the love of Christ. Not, not a need to, not a guilt response, but a joy and a love response. And God, for whatever is that thing on top for us, help us to surrender it to you, to take it away from the worksy, worksy category and into the kingdom category. That we would see kingdom and God things happen in and through our life. So whatever that thing is today, I'd encourage you just give it to him and say, God, I want to do this with you. I want to do this with you. God, thank you for the freedom in you. Thank you for the joy in you. Thank you for the life in you. You're so good. Amen. Amen. I pray this morning that um, some of those things might take us out, and this is what's been happening to me over a series of years, but it keeps coming back out of that sense of, well, I've got to handle this myself, and more towards the sense of, God, this is all about you and your life. Amen. Awesome. Thanks very much.